Bartimaeus, a son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, wanted to see. He called out to Jesus, who was on his way to Jerusalem. The crowds told him to keep quiet, but he called out all the louder, Jesus, have mercy on me. Eventually, then, Jesus says to him, What do you want me to do for you? He replied, Let me see. Now, unlike every other healing story in Mark's gospel, this one names the person who was healed. It's the only place where this happens. Over the years, commentators have said this naming suggests that Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was still known within the Christian community around the time that Mark was being written. Unlike most all the others who crossed Jesus' path seeking his help, Bartimaeus is remembered by the community. The clue for the reason why is in the last sentence in the short story. Immediately he regained his sight, it says, and followed him on the way. In other words, once Jesus caused Bartimaeus to see, he became one of those who followed Jesus. He followed Jesus on the way. That's, by the way, how Mark describes and defines the gospel. It is the way. To have faith in Jesus and what he taught was to follow him on the way. Note that isn't about subscribing to a set of propositions about Jesus. It is about identifying your life with Jesus and following him on the way. As a result, Bartimaeus was written into the story of Jesus' road trip. Thoughtful biblical scholars at this point will say that physical blindness, as it's portrayed in the Gospels, is generally a metaphor for spiritual blindness. And this episode is no exception. This vignette follows uh, three different stories about the disciples' inability to understand who Jesus is and what he's about. They're caught bickering just before this, caught bickering about who was the greatest among them and who would get the best goodies at the end of the day. Recently, I spoke about this particular text, this story. Bartimaeus' story comes after all of that. Mark places this story as a punctuation mark on the disciples' ineptness, or we might say their blindness. For although Bartimaeus is physically blind, he has spiritual sight that reveals to him Jesus' true nature. When Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus responds, Teacher, let me see. Well, one clear lesson here is this. A righteous prayer for all of us repeats Bartimaeus' request. Teacher, let me see. And you might ask, well, see what? And the answer is, 
the truth, to see what is, to see what is true. Let me see you, Jesus, for who you are. Let me see my life for what it is. And when I look in the mirror, let me see the whole wide-angle version, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And let me see my sisters and brothers for who they are and my place in the scheme of things. So, in another time, in a very different land and under very different circumstances, Stephen, son of Adeline and Melvin, thought he desired to see in this way. And at some point along the road, after leaving home, he encountered Jesus, who shined a bright light on Stephen's life that burned away part of the cataracts, blurring his vision, and then invited him to follow along the way. And having gained a bit of clarity, Stephen set out in fits and starts to do that. And years later, it brought him into the company of Violet, daughter of Malloy and Beulah, and a whole room full of others who sought to see the way Bartimaeus sought it. Now, sometimes this band of travelers was blinded by imagining that Jesus wanted for them what they wanted, a problem-free existence, plenty of really, really good stuff, great success, whatever it took, or just plain happiness and good times. Wandering off the road in this manner, they heard Jesus calling back to them to rejoin them on the way, sharing the road again on his journey to Jerusalem and beyond. And they wondered about this, wondered about the difference between wanting stuff and things on their terms and Jesus' desire for them to follow his way. And sometimes they wondered if they really wanted to fully see in the manner of Jesus? Did they really want to see their lives without benefit of snazzy filters and fake settings and scenery? Did they really want to see themselves as they were? And were a few cataracts all that bad anyway, given the ubiquity of suffering in the world? Did they want to see the world as it was And come to think of it, where was Jesus headed anyway? What was up with what went down in Jerusalem at the end of his life? But let's pause here for a minute to consider current conditions. What we see today in our land. Consider the chaos and violence in our civic culture. But first, join me in a moment of silent prayer for the victims at the Tree of Life Synagogue. What a terrible irony, Tree of Life is the name of that congregation. A terrible anguishing event while we're still digesting the pipe bomb terrorism in a time of aggressive political rancor. The worst, I think, I've experienced in my lifetime. 
You know, the 60s were bad. The Vietnam era was devastating, catastrophic time, but I actually believe the public vitriol is worse today. Political language has been stripped of decency and sense of common purpose. The violence this week seems an inevitable outcome given current conditions. Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf said in a statement yesterday that these senseless acts of violence aren't who we are as Americans. And I immediately thought to myself, I beg to differ, Governor. I think we can't ignore the truth that these senseless acts of violence are in fact part of who we are as Americans today. I say this because seeing things as they are really does matter. It's the important first step in choosing a different outcome. It's akin to waking up from a long coma. Part of the things as they are is ugly and awful. This was true in Jesus' day as well, which provided the context for his loving intervention to set things right, as it were. His life trajectory led him to crucifixion, underscoring the ugliness factor that inspires violence and death. We need to connect the dots. Yet he was on a relentless quest to open people's eyes to the truth, and to the wonderful, hopeful opportunity that lay beyond. Seems to me that part of our job as Christians is to see this full on. Even seeing the strains of ugliness in our own individual lives, our own tendency for enemy formation, for belittling our enemies, for falling headlong into the inky well of our shadow selves where power and fear, oh my, the fear, and self-absorption trump compassion and empathy and personal integrity. As followers after the way of Jesus, we must keep our wits in the midst of the chaos, our wits, our courage, our clarity, and our dignity, coupled with a compassionate regard for all persons, We need each other to stay clear and focused, especially in these days. That's one important purpose of the church, by the way. Honestly, in times like these, the habit of regular worship is more relevant than ever. You might think I'm being self-serving here, being a cleric in a church, but honestly, friends, the disciplines and habits that keep us connected with the things that matter most is, are really important. They're really important. Because judging by recent events, we humans are prone to stew in the darkness of our own blindness, hunkering down ever deeper into narrowly defined tribal wells of like-mindedness, 
Followers after the way of Jesus should be willing to confess this and then remember their commitment to love God and neighbor above all things, ordering the days of their lives accordingly, recommitting themselves to God's justice rooted in our common genetics, having been created in God's image. Every last one of us in here and out there, every single one a beloved child of God, So we continue the journey, we continue the journey discovering that following Jesus produces a way of life. Remember how Paul said it, he said it to his friend you just heard, a way of life in this corrupt generation. And he was writing to first century. He might just as well be writing to us. Writing from a prison cell, he said, this way of life shapes our ethos of being of one mind, having the same love, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regarding others as better than ourselves, each looking to the interests of others. Well, you know, that isn't easy and Honestly, it's radically countercultural today. I mean, radically countercultural. It's important to kind of see it clearly, to see how radically countercultural it is, because that radical countercultural way of life makes a claim on us. We learn that life requires us to constantly work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul said. Confident that the Spirit of Christ works within us, honing and refining us into becoming better versions of ourselves. Don't you want to become a better version of yourself? I'm on that quest. I think I will be on that quest until I am finally laid out. And along the way, we discover there's no circumstance we encounter that's beyond the range of God's grace. Nothing's beyond the range of God's grace. We learn how to do the more difficult thing. That's what we do. We do the more difficult thing in service of love. We do the courageous thing, the nobler thing. And we do not succumb to the dark angels of our lesser selves. That are rampant in our land. This journey rearranges our priorities and attitudes growing our love to become larger than our fear. There's a phrase in the first letter of John that says, perfect love casts out fear. When I was in seminary and desperately trying to translate that out of the Greek, 
it dawned on me that the opposite of love was not hate. It was fear. Fear-mongering, friends, is the opposite of love. You can take that home to the bank. Fear-mongering is the opposite of love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Following after the way of Jesus makes us generous and then oddly hopeful despite many adversities. Well, as you know, this story is very much in progress, as of yet unfinished. There's no way of knowing how many stand-ins for Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, may yet join the journey, but judging current conditions, we could really use a whole lot more folks with his request on their lips. My teacher, let me see. Let me see.